Welcome to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. Wherever you're listening from, welcome. We pray that the truth from the Word of God speaks to your heart during today's message. What is the center of your life? Is it Jesus Christ or is it Bible versions? That's an important question. Uh, because we need to get a really good focus on Christ is the center. The gospel is the center. That's not to say that the version issue isn't important. You know that it's very important to, to, to me personally and, and to our church. But Jesus Christ should be the center of your faith and the center of your life. The person of Jesus Christ. And Hebrews 12 tells us in verse number uh One, wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Man, it's hard to run when you've got a lot of stuff bogging you down, isn't it? (laughs) That's kind of the idea here, and we just need to set it all aside, and what do we need to do? Verse number two. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Is he the author of this book? Yes, he sure is. But look, we need to look unto Christ, the author, Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Look, I don't believe somebody that's using an NIV or someone that's preaching out of the ESV. I don't think they're of the devil. I don't think they're on their way to hell. Jesus Christ is who we as Christians should all be looking onto. You know what's more important? The gospel. And you know, you know this. When we go out and do public ministry, we are not mentioning Bible versions. We are preaching Christ crucified. Him risen from the grave. That's who we want to point people to. The gospel. That is the central theme of what we believe and what we preach. However, if you move away from absolute authority, that is a problem. And that problem does need to be addressed. When when shots are fired that say with a broad brush, well, all King James Bible believers, they're just vindictive and mean spirited. And that's really unfair. That's unfair because easily the table can be flipped and we can apply that to any group. So it's an unfair claim just because some in the past have been mean and nasty and had a bad attitude. That doesn't mean Every King James Bible believer is like that. Matter of fact, the ones I know and glean insight and truth from, they're not like that. First John 5. Bible says, let's start at verse number 10. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar because he believeth not the record that God gave his son. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. 
what do we want people to have when we go out and witness to them at fairs and on the square and everywhere? We want them to have eternal life. The center of our faith is around trusting God, not around trying to have uh, the best argument to win the position on the Bible version issue, although it's an important issue. And this is his son. And then verse 12, he that hath the son hath life, and he that hath not the son of God hath not life. Now, if I was reading that verse to a lost person, they're simple one-syllable words that are easy to understand, even if you don't know how to define or haven't heard the word hath. Everybody can read that and understand, you know what? I need the son for eternal life, and I don't have him. I don't have eternal life. Verse 13, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the son of God. That is what we want people to come to saving faith of. They know for sure that they have eternal life because they believed on Christ. I'd like to say, as we introduce this message, that I understand that some people, some now adult children were brought up in what you could call cult style. King James people, for lack of a, a better word. I understand that. Um, I understand that some people were told, well, the King James Bible is a, a second inspiration. No, God inspired his word. And then from that, he kept his promise to preserve it. So we don't have a second inspiration. We have a preservation of his word. We did a message on that. Both of those pillars are important to understand. But there's been a lot of um, scandal. There's been a lot of misuse of quote unquote power. And there's been a lot of camps, quote unquote, that have really damaged people mentally and emotionally, all while waving a King James Bible. That's not us. We're not a cult. Nobody forces anybody to do anything and makes them feel guilty if they don't follow the man of God and all that type of tomfoolery. Just because you got something out of Hammond, Indiana, doesn't make it like it came down from God. Some camps, they just can't get away from the scandal. That's a problem. Just because you hold a King James Bible, that doesn't excuse you from being rebuked or corrected. Give me a guy that's got an ESV or an NIV or an NASB that's got a pure ministry that preaches the gospel, that cares for people, that loves souls. Over a scandalous camp that covers up sin and all the while holds the King James Bible and then wonder why and, and, and now wonders why people are churches are moving away from the King James Bible. It's a problem. 
wave a King James Bible and have seminars and, and run and run uh, run camps and all that and do Christian cursing. And it, it, look, it don't fly. It don't fly with God's people. You don't be mean and nasty because you've got God's word in your hand. Because if you had God's word in your heart, you wouldn't be mean and nasty. I'm a King James Bible believer. Well, you're not acting like you believe it. Does that make sense? I'm not saying I'm going to start preaching out of a new American standard. What I'm saying is if a guy's got a new American standard and he's a saved Christian who loves the Lord and he cares about people. I'd rather hang out with that guy. I'd rather my family be under the influence of that heartfelt ministry. Even though he's got the wrong book, that's a problem. That's a problem. But we're weighing out problems. You see this? Ideally, we have it both. That's what we're striving to do here. Good heart attitude, right Bible. We want both. John 14. John 14. John 14, verse. Well, let's look at verse 23. To start, Jesus answered, said to him, If a man love me, he will keep my words. So loving Christ, there's an attachment here to his words. And my father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not, keepeth not my sayings, and the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. So we see again in verse 24, it has to do with sayings and words. We can't get away from at least saying this. There's a connection to loving God and loving his words and his sayings. That's important. It says these things verse 25 have i spoken unto you being yet present with you verse 26 the comforter which is the holy ghost whom the father will send in my name he shall teach you all things what do we have here in verse 26 the holy spirit now as a teacher that's important because you can have the right bible but you might not have the right spirit. It might not be the Holy Ghost. That's what you're following after. Or is leading you and teaching you. Both are there and bring all things to your remembrance. Whatsoever I have said unto you. I believe in absolute truth. But my understanding and your understanding of absolute truth is an absolute. <laughs> I mean, it's not like everything we conclude or reason is absolutely right. So we need to have something that we can go to. And I believe we have it right here. That is absolutely true. And, and that's really the point. You've got to have both. You've got to have the right spirit that you're allowing to teach you and the right book. And what we try to do is point point people to both right spirit right book uh there are some new terms 
Maybe you've heard them, maybe you've not. We're going to go over them tonight. The three I'd like to speak about tonight, uh, the first one is called textual skepticism. That means the text of the Bible uh, is not of God. Textual uh, skepticism basically says it's just a book written by man. And we're skeptics of that book because we can't trust man. And after all, you Christians have so many Bible versions, you don't even know what to agree on. So I'm the skeptic. It's not from God. It's just from man and a group of men that nobody can agree with. Him. I remember witnessing to a Muslim, Daytona Beach, some years back. And uh, his big argument was that um, he said, what we like about um, Islam is that we have one book. And Christianity has so many Bible versions that, to me, that doesn't make sense. Now, in his mind, all these different versions was just confusion. This is, this is a problem. Because that is a valid argument. Because we would all say that we're Christians. So as a lost man looking into that, in his mind, it's a disconnect. He has a legitimate question. In his mind, he's reasoning with a valid argument that says, how in the world can I believe Christianity when you have all of these different books that you go to? Now, you've got to admit, that's, I mean, that's a fair question. So we explained to him, look, that's not what we believe. He understood he didn't get saved, but we tried to answer his objection. And then guess what? We didn't point him to the Bible version issue. We ended up pointing him to Jesus Christ and made sure he went away with the gospel. That's the power of God unto salvation. Uh, so that's textual skepticism. Uh, textual absolutism. This is going to be a critique of what they say down south as usins, <laughs> those that believe that God's word is absolutely true and is the final authority. And we can hold it in our hand, read it in English and believe it and trust every word of it. If we do textual criticism, critique the text, change it, alter it, then we, we would be violating what God said that every word of God is pure and so many many people do not like that idea of a final authority so they warn against what they would call textual absolutism they would warn against a preacher like myself or a believer like yourself who would say we we uphold the exclusive use of the king james version you don't like that at all it's a it's a big problem as soon as they hear no other Bible versions are allowed, they don't like that. They're okay with saying, look, we prefer this version. This is just what the church has voted on as the use in the pulpit. Uh, and they're okay with going that far. But they don't like the exclusive use. So they call it textual absolutism. Uh, they want to have the ability to measure and test and compare manuscripts 
so that they can make adjustments, you know, as the Lord leads. <laughs> Except the Lord ain't leading them. They're leading themselves and they're blaming God <laughs> for, for the leading. Look, God preserved his word. I believe that promise. If you want to compare manuscripts and you want to, you know, do, do all that, help yourself. But don't demonize King James Bible believers uh, because they don't want to. Now, if you want to compare manuscripts and alter the text and change the text and get all these different modern, modern versions, I am not putting forth the fact that I think that that person or that group of people necessarily has ill motives. Maybe some of them do. But I'm not going to take a broad brush and paint them all the same way that some of them would paint us. Well, you're just mean and no, 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 no. I don't think they all have ill motives. I think they were confused. I think maybe somebody heard them in the past. I think maybe a camp or a preacher or a denomination or a seminary or a college professor or somebody might have given them a bad taste about some things and because they had a King James Bible now it just triggers them and I understand that so I don't think they all have bad motives just think that they're wrong the same way they would think that we're wrong this is not we believe the King James Bible and so therefore we think every other church that doesn't have the King James version is of the devil and not a true church now we don't I don't think they have the true Version. I don't think they have the right version. Don't get me wrong. But if they're preaching the gospel, does it say the gospel is the power of God and salvation? Everyone to believe it. I know some King James Bible believing churches that uh, I never see them out doing ministry. I know some folks that don't believe the King James Bible. I see them out doing ministry. So what do you want? You want to have the old book, the old 66 caliber black covered book, and yet you never told anybody that, hey, do you know God sent his son to pay your sin debt? I'm just trying to put things in perspective. I'm not trying to move away from the Bible. I'm just trying to put the whole thing into perspective for something that's more important. This idea, if you're not with us, you're against us. Well, let some persecution hit. Then see how close you get to an ESV guy. <laughs> You'll be locking arm in arm with an ESV guy. Persecution hits uh, America, American Christianity. And I got news for you. It's here and it's going to be coming harder and harder. They're going to come in and start pillaging our village. What are you going to say to your neighbor? Do you have an ESV, an NIV, or a KJV? No, you're going to be saying, man, are you a Christian? Oh, praise God. Right? Right? That's what we're going to do. I'm trying to put things in perspective. There's something higher. There's something more important. That's Jesus Christ. And that's the hard attitude that we have living for him. Let's go to Proverbs 30. Because with all that said, God did give us a measuring stick. People say they want to measure manuscripts. They want to be able to see the manuscripts. They want to be able to compare and make adjustments. But God gave us 
a principle in his word as our ruler, meaning the measuring ruler stick. Proverbs 30, verse number five, the Bible says, you'll know this, every word of God is pure. Man, that thing will just preach all night. That would mean every word of man is not pure. <laughs> every thought of man is not pure. Every heart desire of man is not pure, but not so with God. So what's our measuring stick? Every word of God. So it would make sense. I know this is simplifying it. And a lot of people don't like the idea. If you make it too simple, then it doesn't get anywhere. But really, if we were to all read Proverbs 30, verse 5 and 6, from six or seven different versions, it wouldn't come out pure. It would come out confusing to people because they're different words. So at a very simplistic level, we want to have the right measuring stick every word. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. Notice the trust in God is connected to his pure words. You can't get away from that principle. Verse 6, add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. If you tried to increase the value of gold by adding fake gold, you would decrease its value. And when you try to add to God's word, you don't increase its value. You decrease its value. It's a simple principle. This book, I've said it once, I'll say it again. It is a supernatural book. It is not like any other book on the planet. We have to be careful about mingling our own interpretations, our own thoughts, our own criticism of when we looked at texts and manuscripts and say, you know what, I want to insert this. I think this would be a better rendering. I think this word should be altered as this word. We got to be careful because now we're putting trust in our own reasoning. Well, didn't the King James Bible translators do that? Well, yes and no. They never claimed inspiration. The King James Bible translators put it right in their preface. They never claimed inspiration. Well, see, that's it. We just got to throw it in the trash. No, I wouldn't want you imagine the haughtiness of that. You imagine a preacher standing up and saying, yes, the words I'm going to deliver to you today are absolutely inspired of God. I mean, who would stick around? Well, the Roman Catholics, what I mean, when the Pope speaks, he's, I mean, honestly, that doesn't convince me that the King James Bible is full of errors because in the preface, the translators say we don't claim inspiration. That tells me we've got some humble men of God who, if you trace their history and find out their education level, light years ahead of any modern scholar. I don't even think there'd be a close second to, to those to those fellows. Why does it bother people so much 
when you hear the exclusive use of the King James Bible. After all, the Bible doesn't say that we're going to have a perfect translation. And that's not divisive. Come on. Listen to the message we did, the lesson we did on translations. And we can see at least three places in the Bible where a translation happened that it was better than the original. Are you saying the King James Bible is better than the originals? Yes and no. It's the same thing, but let me ask you a question. Take away all the titles of the books, take away all the chapter headings, take away all the verse numbers, and jumble all the words together and take out the punctuation. And now turn to John 3.16. Come on. It's better. We can read it. We can understand it better because we have some. Okay. You follow. There's two textual lines of manuscripts. You follow that Antiochian line of manuscripts. You're going to find it's not changed. It's just in English. That's all. I don't speak Greek. You don't speak Hebrew. We speak English. So God gave us a measuring stick. Um, you say, well, how are you going to witness to somebody? It's so hard to understand. You know, you hear a testimony of some some guy, you know, trying to witness to somebody. And, you know, it's like his eyes are glazed over because he can't understand the words. You know, he that hath the son hath life and he that hath not the son hath not life. I mean, that's just so hard to understand that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him, whosoever is so hard to understand. I mean, you imagine witnessing to someone and they're just like, oh, yeah, yeah. Is it, are you kidding me? Why is there such a bias to the King James Bible? Do we do that to medical school students? Do we do that? Oh, well, this I guess this isn't going to be a good example. Do we do that to the kids at school with English? Do we dumb it down? Yeah, I thought about it when I was probably not the best example. That's what they are doing. We don't have to dumb down a language. We just need to teach the language. Um, and so to balance out uh, textual um, absolutism, which they would say would be extreme. You can't take an exclusive uh, use of the, of, of the King James Bible. And so to compare or to balance out the extreme view of textual absolutism against um, textual uh, skepticism, which just says it's just a man written book, they've come up with the term textual confidence. Now, they will say that the Bible is their absolute authority. But they will not point to one version or one manuscript line. They want to be able to have the freedom to examine everything. And they will spend their life demonizing the exclusive use of the King James Version. And they believe that God will just use ordinary people to transmit his word. And that he will continue to do so today. And they will make the analogy that isn't that what God does with the gospel? He uses ordinary men, ordinary women, ordinary Christians. Um, and it's still in use today. 
And we are used as vessels to get the gospel up. And that's true. And that certainly is uh, a truth that we can all say amen to. So they'll take that truth and they'll say, well, it's the same with the Bible. We have all of these manuscripts. Culture changes. Language changes. Linguistic study changes. So we shouldn't be tied to one absolute authority. It's an extreme position. We should be allowed to examine all manuscripts. And after all, all of the division and all the hatred that's out there, it's just because of those mean King James Bible believers. Now, that last part, not everybody would, would uh, uphold to that is a, a textual critic and that believes this position of textual confidence. But they try to take the absolutism and the skepticism and they try to bring it into a middle ground. that We can have confidence in the text. Except. They don't really know what text to have confidence in. So they have confidence in all the texts. Now, if I said to you, we should have confidence in all the Gospels. God told us very clearly in his word. If someone preaches another gospel, that man's a curse. Now, there's the gospel of the Jehovah Witnesses. There's the gospel of the Mormons. But none of it is really good news, quite honestly. It's a proclamation of heresy. We can't take all of that. They want to apply this to manuscripts, no matter where the manuscripts came from. And they'll come up with ideas that say, well, if they're older, they've got to be better. And we're supposed to assume that that presupposition is correct. Go to Luke chapter number four. I would say to you that if someone's trying to promote confidence in the Bible, in the text of the scriptures, and at the same time they're correcting it, I would advise running away. I don't believe that's a safe position. Luke chapter number four. The Bible says in verse number three. And the devil said unto him, it's Jesus Christ. If thou be the son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. Now, physical bread. Keeps you alive. We all understand that. And Jesus answered him saying, it is written. Something was scripted down. That man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Now that thing's loaded. That's some powerful ammunition right there. Number one, bread's going to feed your physical body. The word of God's going to feed your spiritual body. That thing will preach all day. Number two, we already mentioned it is written. There's something scripted that Jesus is quoting from that can be trusted. And then at the end, we see, but by every word of God, do you think Jesus would leave us hanging? That doesn't give me confidence in the scripture if I don't know what manuscript to go to. I don't know what version to go to. 
it's confusing. I mean, we have to we have to compile all these manuscripts and trust some scholar uh, seminary professors who are scholars to kind of put it together for us. And it might change. It might not change. You know, now John MacArthur has his own Bible. I mean, it's lambskin leather. It's French milled paper. I mean, what else do you want? Did we not have it prior? These things can get confusing. But not if we believe and trust God's word that he preserved it and we have it. Um, go to uh, go to uh, John chapter number five. And as you turn in there, Proverbs 20, it says, bread of deceit is sweet to a man. But afterwards, his mouth shall be filled with gravel. Every word of God feeds your soul. Bread will just feed your physical body. John 5. People are real, real careful what goes into their food. I'm not eating that. That's got gluten in it. I'm not eating that. That doesn't have enough gluten in it. I'm not, I'm not eating that. You know how much sugar a watermelon has? I'm not eating that. People are real careful about what they eat. Man shall not live by bread alone, by every word of God. I think we should be more careful about what we eat, what our soul, what our spirit's being filled with. Uh, John chapter number five, look at verse 39. The Bible says, search the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me. There should be searching of scriptures. But not with a doubt of, well, is this word right? Should this phrase be here? We should be able to search the pure and perfect word of God. There is searching that's involved. But not for a better rendering. Let's go to Mark. The 12th chapter. Mark chapter 12, verse number 24. What the Bible says, and Jesus answering, said unto them, Do you not therefore err, because you know not the scriptures, neither the power of God? The error is tied to what? Not knowing the scriptures. If you don't have them all, you're going to be an error. You're going to be an error. Let's go to Psalms 119. I know we were there last week for some time, but let's go back to Psalms 119. We'll get verse 98. Psalms 119. Through verse 97, oh, I love thy law, it is my meditation all the day. Though through thy commandments hast made me wiser than mine enemies, for they are ever with me. Now, here it is. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for thy testimonies are my meditation. How is it possible to have more understanding than all your teachers? Because the word of God, the scriptures, can enlighten you better than any teacher can enlighten you. 
We all should have a love of God's word. Meditate on it throughout the day. That's where understanding comes from. Not from changing archaic words to non-archaic words. However, that's supposed to be defined. Where does wisdom come from? Look at verse 110. Uh, verse 109, my soul is continually in my hand, yet do I not forget thy law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, yet I erred not from thy precepts. Thy testimonies have I taken as a heritage forever, for they are the rejoicing of my heart. I have inclined mine heart to perform thy statutes always, even unto the end. You don't have a healthier heart. You don't have a more robust view or healthier view of the Bible by throwing it out. Uh, someone's going to lay a snare for you, and we need to be careful that that snare isn't the changing of God's word. Because believe it or not, and this is not the topic for tonight, there are doctrinal changes that we'll be doing in later lessons that clearly show it's not. Scripture. It's not scripture. And that snare. That that can affect people. So we want we want to have all the right words. Um, they say that. If you just find, look. It, OK, so you King James guys, you find one mistake in an NIV and you think that kills all of Christianity. No, we don't. We think that. You should get rid of it and get, get with the book. <laughs> I'm telling you, we got a book you can believe. We got unity around the book. I don't know why people are against the book. You get upset, find an error in your Bible. We went through why not the NIV. If you can't get through that message and realize that you shouldn't be having that Bible, it, there's really nothing else you can do except pray for the person. I've got confidence in God's ability to preserve his word. Psalms 12. This is the last one we'll, we'll do. Last, last chapter we'll do. Psalms chapter number 12. All right. Verse number seven. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve us from this generation forever. You say, brother, why'd you read that as us and not them? Oh, sorry, I have my, my NIV and my ESV slip in. I'm not making fun for the sake of making fun. The NIV says, um, we'll keep the needy safe and will protect us forever from the wicked. The NIV says people are going to be protected. From the wicked. The ESV does the same thing. You, O oh Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. That's a problem. Because you have one version that says people will be protected and preserved, which the only way it could even be in the context of that is if it were a believer. And then you have the King James Bible that says, Words are being preserved. So whether you, okay, 
whether you agree the King James Bible is the word of God or not, allow me to oppose this question. If one says people are protected and preserved and the other says words are protected and preserved, does everybody see that that's a clear contradiction? Those two can't be melded together and somehow make sense out of it. You know what you got? The 12th Psalm, it contrasts man's word versus the Lord's word. It should be them because it's referring to the words and that's what the context clearly is. The words of the Lord. Yes, the protection of God's people could be argued as a sub theme, but the entirety of the chapter and the primary theme of Psalms 12 is clearly words. I don't believe that. Okay, verse number two. Let's read it from the top. Help, Lord, for the godly man seetheth, for the faithful fail from among the children of men. Try to say ceaseth 10 times in a row. Uh, verse number two, they speak. See that? They speak. What would that be? Words. Vanity. Everyone with his neighbor with flattering lips. What is that? Words. And with a double heart, do they speak? Another reference to words. Verse three, the Lord shall cut off all flattering lips. That's words. And the tongue, he used that for words. That speaketh proud things. That would be words. Verse 4, who have said, that would be words. I know you think I'm being redundant, but good night. you got an NIV and an ESV that clearly has this wrong in the context. And I'm supposed to be convinced that these conferences and these fellows that are getting around the coffee table that are comparing manuscripts and trying to sell you and I another version or right? They're not right. Verse four, with our tongue, that's words, will prevail. Our lips are our own, that's words. Who is Lord over us? Now, here's verse five, and this is where uh, the modern versions want to make us the oppressed and the object of the preservation. And they get it from verse five. For the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy, now will I arise, saith the Lord, I will set him in safety from him that puppeth at him. You know, wrong is done to the poor. How is it done to the poor? In the context of this chapter, they're using the power of speech to abuse the poor. I mean, that happens nowadays, too. That, that's not something that changes or is new. You know what it means? You can't count on man's words. That's why that verse is inserted there. The needy will be wronged. The poor and the needy will be the victim of deceitful speech, of deceitful contracts. They're, they're, they're going to be taken advantage of through promises and through words. But who's going to keep them safe? God is. Because the poor and the needy can trust God's word. That's the idea. That's the protection. It says in verse number five, I will set him in safety from him that puffeth at him. They're going to look at the poor person with contempt. 
like they can just shoo them off just with the puff of their breath. Just another word, I can just get rid of that poor, needy person. And, 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 and that's that puffeth at him. They're just going to injure them with their words. I'll just destroy you with my words. The assault against God's people. How many times you've been called a nasty name? If God was protecting people from other things, do you think that the context of Psalms 12 would have included those other things? Would have. Context is clearly, clearly. The words of the Lord's clearly, clearly words. Watch this. The words of the Lord are pure words as silver tried in the furnace of earth, purified seven times. Watch this. Thou shalt keep them words of the Lord. O Lord, thou shalt preserve them. His words from this generation forever. The wicked walketh, uh, the wicked walk on every side. When the vilest men are exalted. And it don't matter on how many sides the wicked men exalt themselves. God's word will stand and he will preserve them. From that generation to now, you could say this next generation and he will preserve them for ever. When someone says there is no absolute authority and it's okay to have uncertainty of textual variance, I don't buy it. I don't buy the fact that somehow by God's grace and God's mercy, he led someone off the King James Bible. I don't buy it. I believe they were talked out of their faith by a seminary professor, denomination, and it was man's words that were brought in to raise doubt and we did a lot of principles tonight about god's word and we looked in this uh, a specific text in psalms 12 where a word was changed and it completely changed the meaning of the context of the chapter we can go through hundreds of those but what the big takeaway tonight was jesus christ is the focal point of our life and the gospel is what we preach Yes, the Bible is important to us. We're not throwing it out. We're keeping the right version. But we want the right heart and the right spirit as well. There's hundreds of errors. But the big principle thing is God said he would preserve his word. There isn't a second inspiration. It's the preservation of his word that we believe and we trust. God inspired his original writings. That same God has the same power. To preserve what he originally inspired. So there's a principle there. And yes it's by faith. But yes it's not a. But no it's not a blind faith. We can show from the Bible. That there are errors in. In the modern versions. And just to reiterate. Just because someone's carrying a different version. Than the King James. They're not of the devil. They just don't see it the way. We, we see it okay. We. If they're preaching to the devils, you know, people filled with the devil, the gospel, that's what we want. That's ultimately what we want, souls to be saved. And if all I, if, if, if all our Bibles got confiscated and the Dollar General got a 
an import from China. <laughs> and it was a dollar for a, an NIV to go give somebody some some gospel news. You know what? I guess I just have to use what I got. Wouldn't be happy about it. But I'm just trying to put things into perspective. But we got one. We don't have that problem. Thank you for listening to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. We look forward to seeing you in the next episode. In the meantime, you can sign up for our email newsletter at www.pilgrimbaptist.church.